Um, if you would find it in your Bibles, uh, Numbers chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, Numbers chapter 4, and then mark that spot, and then Exodus 25, Numbers chapter 4, Exodus 25, Numbers chapter 4, Exodus 25, and then turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Sure, I'm thankful to be with you. I know that we have a lot of people that are not doing well and sickness goes around and all of that. So when you notice people are missing, don't assume the worst about them. Maybe check on them. Yeah. Say, hey, can I bring you some delicious soup? <laughs> And you say, I can't make delicious soup, then don't bring them soup. <laughs> Just wish them well. Amen. All right, Second Samuel chapter 6. Can I say this? Man, I sure am proud of Miss Maggie. She's a great mom. Took a little fall being an awesome mom, but just... Y'all pray for her. she's a but she's a blessing. No, I mean that. I'm not I'm not being ridiculous. She's a blessing. Her and brother Ryan are a blessing, and so pray for her. She doesn't do American Ninja Warrior anymore, whatever it was that she was teaching those boys how to do. It's good stuff. All right, Second Samuel chapter six. Uh, mindset messages. Uh, my Jason asked me tonight, he's like, do we ever get to go back into teen church? And I said, not with that attitude. And so, you know, he's going to be in here one more week and y'all can thank Jason. For, no, I'm totally kidding. totally kidding. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And that's an amazing and significant description. We're not getting into all of that tonight. Just as a reminder, I'll say it again, God's presence was directly tied to that ark, Amen. the ark of the covenant. That was the symbol, the physical symbol of his presence with his people. God's presence was on it. The ark wasn't God, but God placed his presence on the ark as a reminder to his presence with and among and for his people. And so they were to respect that ark the way they respected God. Their treatment of the ark was a reflection of their view of God. So verse 3 and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, they were there with the ark. They drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. 
Man, he would have had Miss Bev in that procession right there. It's a time of celebration. God is establishing the kingdom and the ark. David longs for the presence of God. And we're bringing that item that demonstrates and signifies his presence with us. We're bringing it to where we rule from. It's good. It's celebratory. Verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. I read a statement that said David longed for God's presence. And in verse number 7, God showed up. But in a way, David was not anticipating. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. We ought to be careful about assuming that God killed somebody unless it says God killed them. And here it says that God killed him for his error. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Para-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? David was questioning God when he should have been questioning himself. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. We'll stop reading there. It, It ends well, and I'll reference that briefly at the conclusion. It's not that God didn't want to bless, but Here's the thought you need to have. It's not just motive that matters to God. It's not just motive that matters to God. You can put in parentheses this. Motive and method. It's not just motive that matters to God. Lord, as I don't, God, I don't ever want to take a service off. And I am a flawed pastor. We are flawed people. And we need you. And, and God, I don't, I don't desire you to work less because it's a Wednesday. I don't desire you to work less because it's been a busy week. God, I, if we're going to take the time to be here, then Lord, we desire that you would be here with us and that you would work. And so whether watching online or here in the room, please use your word by the work of your spirit to penetrate and help our hearts, help your church, help your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. David has recently been established as the king over all of Israel, and 
that story and the transition, how God brought him through the persecution of Saul and then eventually united the kingdom is in 1 Samuel transitioning into 2 Samuel. But at this point, the nation has united under him. You read in verse number one, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. It's a It's not a full demonstration, but it is a significant demonstration of the unity and the power and the force that is at his disposal. And and if you can think of this in terms of what you know about the reign of David and what you know about the early years of the reign of Solomon, they are entering into the earth, they are in the early stages of decades of dominance and prosperity as a result of the blessing of God. David has this name. It's mentioned in the Old. It's mentioned in the New Testament. And I love it that it's mentioned in the New Testament because it affirms that even, it affirms two things. Even those who have this, they, they are still susceptible to sin. But just because you fail God doesn't mean God completely dismisses you either. And that's this. He's a man after God's own heart. David loved God. You read through how, here how he sings. You read through later when they actually corrected the error, how he pours himself out dancing before the Lord. Not, not godly, godless sensual gyrations, but, but a celebratory leaping and dancing before the Lord, even with his own wife despising his motive. David, David defended it. He said, look, I'll make myself as base as I need to. This is at the end of the chapter, because I love God and I care more about having a heart for him than I do what people think about me. Can I just, on a side note, I, I, I do not care. I work so hard at just as a Christian. I'm not worried about what people are thinking about me when I'm, when I'm singing a hymn or when I'm on my knees trying to worship God. And, and I wish that every one of God's children, when we come together for these moments, that you would intentionally forget what you're concerned about other people thinking and you would learn to develop such a heart and passion for God that when we have an opportunity to corporately worship and adore him, that it just spills out. But it shouldn't be confined to a Sunday or a Wednesday. It should be every day. And David longed for the presence of God. As you know, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't with him. And so because he longs for God's presence, he longs for that item that God himself gave the design for and the instruction to build and then put his presence on He longs for that item to be with him where he is ruling from, what's referenced here in chapter 6 as the city of David. And so he organizes this massive assembly, 30,000 chosen men. These would be chief soldiers or officers or leaders. And, And then he puts together this entourage, this celebratory musical entourage for the purpose of bringing the ark of God to where he is ruling from and for the purpose of celebrating God and celebrating God's presence being with him. Listen, it's, it's wonderful, and it's amazing, and it's good, and he is driven by nothing but a desire to be close to God. It's nothing wrong with the motive. Right motive. Good motive. A motive that we should all aspire to. I want to be close to God. I want to know his presence. I want 
to know that He is leading me. I want to be in fellowship with Him. And I don't want there to be, there have been, but I don't want there to be days that go by that He is not in my thoughts and that my heart doesn't burn to be in sweet communion with Him and that I don't long to be pleasing to Him and that I don't make adjustments in order that I might not be offensive to Him. I want to walk with God. It was the right motive. It was a good motive. It was a God-honoring motive. But we see very quickly that he had the wrong method for living out his right motive. When God gave the design for how the ark was to be built and the plan for how the ark was to be used, he also gave instructions for how it was to be moved, and who was allowed to move it. Look at Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, verse number 12. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark of the testimony, which I shall give thee. And so he gives very specific instructions. Look, you have the rings. And then you have the staves overlaid with gold. I'm even telling you the wood that you should make, the staves, the staffs, the poles that are going to go through those rings. You make those, and then you stick them in there, and then they, that is for these specific people to carry them. So now turn to Numbers, chapter 4, verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing. Read the next three words. So God was very specific. This is not ambiguous. Parents, you understand what it's like to tell your children to do something, and then they say, well, I thought you meant. (laughs) No, 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 no. I know your wretched heart. I will not be deceived by your excuses. Okay, sometimes we don't understand. This could not be spoken clearer. This could not be spoken with more clarity. This could not be spoken with more certainty, both how it is to be carried, who is to carry it, and the consequences of violating those instructions. You see, it wasn't just important to God that his presence be with his people. It was important to God how they conducted themselves around his presence. And they are to take him seriously. You say, why is it such a big deal how they treated the ark? Because it represented God. Now look, I'm thankful that we, that we live in the age of grace. I am thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's grace throughout all of the scripture. Amen. People were saved the same way, Old and New Testament, Amen, by faith in God, through the grace of God. And look, I'm glad that we don't have to worry about, man, if I touch the pulpit the wrong way, I'm going to die. But God still deserves to be respected. 
He still deserves to be taken seriously. You say, man, pastor, why is it a big deal if that we don't have kids running on the platform and, and playing tag in the sanctuary and just being inconsiderate of those things? Because we want to teach them and ingrain in them to approach God with some level of seriousness in a culture and in a society that is consumed with being casual all the time. We need to take God seriously. You say, well, man, that, that, it seems like, seems like God is just kind of, that's a really rigid line. It may be a rigid line, but he is a thrice holy God. And he gave everything that was necessary to avoid being judged. How you do it, who's supposed to do it, and what you avoid when you follow my instructions. Well, David, back in 2 Samuel 6, you see the display of David's motive. Verse number 3, they set the ark of God upon a new cart. Now, it was, this is a special cart. This is carrying the ark of God. This is going to transport the item that symbolizes the presence of God. This is his this is where his presence is placed. And we're not just going to use a cart that you've been carrying hay or livestock or crops or other goods, lumber. No, we're going to have a special cart that's going to be made in a special way. And I believe that with the intensity and the deliberateness with which David worshipped and praised God, that that same intensity and deliberateness was put into fashioning this ark and people would just look at it and say man hallelujah his motive is so good he loves God look at the intentional intentionalness and look at the passion that he has for God and in building this ark and how he's poured himself into caring for every detail there's just one problem it directly contradicts how God said to transport the ark No, see, no, no, no. He made this special to God. But that's irrelevant if the methods are in direct contradiction to how God says things should be done. So you know what happens when oxen are pulling a cart and you come over rough terrain. It's the same thing that happens when we load a crock pot of chili in the back of our vehicle. They're like, man, we're going to somebody's house, and we hit a speed bump at, the, at, at not the recommended speed. Not that we were even doing it on purpose. Probably just yelling at a kid or something. Or injury was yelling at me. Missed the speed bump. And then you hear the clank and the Like, well, like. Man, I, I hope we can pull out that mat back there and then we can eat the chili off of that or something. I don't know. It shifts. And as they drive the ark, that cart, can you see it? No, envision it. David's playing, he's celebrating. 30,000 strong, this entourage. You have all of these instrumentalists. And they, 
Man, to me, I I imagine they would have been in the hundreds, if not the thousands. People are celebrating and rejoicing over God. And and this isn't an ego trip with David. He's not making this about him. He's celebrating the presence of God being with them and how God has blessed the kingdom and how every step of the way God has protected and provided and guided. And he is on his way. And you have Uzzah and Ahio, and Ahio's in the front leading the cart, and Uzzah is in the back following the cart. And they hit a rock section and maybe Uzzah says hey Ohio Ohio it's moving a little bit or maybe Ohio said back hey we're getting ready to go over some rough area just just be paying attention and that thing starts to shift and with no wrong intent Uzzah reaches up and grabs that ark here's the problem with it God said you can't touch this ark no God had warned them generations before you can't touch this ark because i am so holy you don't understand and this must be respected because before you can benefit from my love you have to understand the nature of my holiness and you must respect it he reaches up grabs that ark and god does not try to hide his displeasure with it It says in verse 7 the anger of the lord was kindled it's kind of like when you put lighter fluid on dry kindling and then one little spark God's wrath was kindled what are you saying God's just God's anger is out of control no his anger is always very intentional about behaviors that he was very clear about about penalties that he was very clear about and as a result Uzzah dies David, David is angry. Verse 8, he's displeased. Verse 9, he's afraid. David is not happy. Uzzah, God, Uzzah's motive was so good. He was, he was simply trying to protect the ark. But you've got to understand God's holiness won't be compromised. Let me read what one author, how one author highlighted Uzzah's error. Uzzah's error was more than just a reflex action or instinct. God struck Uzzah because his action was based upon a critical error in thinking. Here's his list. Uzzah erred in thinking it didn't matter who carried the ark. You know who Uzzah wasn't? One of the men that was a descendant of the family of Kohath. It says that the house was left in Obed-Edom. You know who was a descendant of that family? Based on what I've studied? The house of Obed-Edom. Uzzah erred in thinking it didn't matter how the ark was carried. Uzzah erred in thinking he knew all about the ark because it was in his father's house for so long. Uzzah erred in thinking that God couldn't take care of the ark himself. And as such, to me, that, that point struck me so significantly. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we think that our methods are better than God's. No, God, you need me to handle this my way. No, 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 God, this, this situation and this time and this culture and this moment and these problems and these challenges, these are different. And you need me to get a handle on this because you don't understand. I was like, no, 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 no. And I'm not trying to be irreverent here. God doesn't need us to take care of him. I was erred in thinking that the ground of Nacon's threshing floor was less holy 
than his own hand. I could just spend some time preaching on that about how we overestimate our own selves. Here's the point. It's possible to have godly motives, but to use godless methods. It's possible to have godly motives, but to use godless methods. There are some things where motive matters and method does not. So what are you talking about? Whether or not you eat at Taco Bell or Freddy's. I mean, some of you are like, hey, what's that place that Brother Z likes in Utah, California? Come on, you Californians, tell me. What? In and out. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. But I'm, I mean, I'm okay if I live another 50 years and never have in and out again. I'm not okay if I live another 50 years and never get Taco Bell or Freddy's. I mean, kind of love that stuff. It's like, well, if you love that stuff, you're not living another 50 years. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> like, I, I don't, man, you say I'm hungry. Go get food. Well, I'm pastor, I'm going to get in and out. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm not even going to pray about that. How, great. I love when people text me smack talk about that kind of stuff. I enjoy it. It's so much fun. I'm like, I love it that you're having such a good time being wrong. It makes my heart so happy. What does it care about? How you change the oil in your car. It's amazing how many guys in here have different nuances about how they change the oil. Or who you have changed the oil. How many of my brothers are in that boat with me? You get your wives to do it because you have no idea what you're doing. And talk about, do y'all, do y'all like biscuits and gravy? Solid. There's like 1,800 recipes in this room right now. No, that's not the way my grandma did it. It's not the way mama did it. Look, I don't care about how you identify your family with this recipe. If it's good, I'm down. If it's not, don't care. I don't care about the method. I just want this to taste good going into my belly. That's all I care about. Checking in babies in the nursery. Man, Andrea has done a great job, June, Miss June, they do a great job back there, Miss Lindsay, getting in in the organizational part of that. You ladies that work back there, you do a great job. Our nursery is an asset. I, I, sometimes people ask me, well, what do you want to do about this check-in and this? I don't care. I just want it done in a way that, that protects our children, that gives confidence to our families, and that is efficient. I don't care about the method. Figure it out. Have the right motive. Do whatever's best. How you organize VBS. Brother Z does a great job organizing VBS. I can find 20 other people that organize it differently. I just want it to be organized. It doesn't have to be organized the exact same way. How you give and receive an offering. What time you do services. Whether you do Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Man, the motive matters and sometimes the method is left up to our discretion. But there are some things where method is just as important as motive. Please get this. There are some things where method is just as important as motive to God. Let me give you some things that I believe from the word of God. It's not just the motive that matters, but it's the method. How we reach people at West Valley. If we reach people using fleshly methods to appeal to and accommodate a culture that violates who God is to people. 
People don't need to come to this church because we accommodate everything that they're accustomed to. They need to know that God is different than everything else that they're getting in the world. You know how we need to reach people? With the gospel, with genuine Christ-like love, with biblical Holy Spirit excitement. What do you mean Holy Spirit excitement? You have God in you. You ought to be excited about that. You ought to be able to shake your shoulders a little bit and wake yourself up and sit up a little straighter and lock in. If you really, if you really believe what you say you believe about the word of God, then he's in this place. And you shouldn't sit in there. You shouldn't be content to sit there and being bored. You should engage and you should ask God to speak to you. And if God inhabits the praise of his people, you shouldn't need a light show to get stirred up about being excited in church because God, the creator, has humbled himself to be here with us i'm telling you we can make churches make all kinds of concessions in the name of reaching people do not i will not i refuse to question their motive but here's what i can tell you it's not just your motive that matters in that it's your method you're like man we just we just need to tear down walls yeah some walls need to be blown over by a divine wrecking ball but there are other walls that actually jesus put up for our protection Say, so what are you talking about? Here, let me throw one out. Gender. Walls don't matter until they do. Resolving conflict. Isn't it awesome when you like everybody? <laughs> I mean, I try to. Like, you're setting us up. No, I'm just saying it's awesome when I like everybody. We got, we got somebody else that's joining the church on Sunday. I'm hearing this next Sunday. I'm hearing this over and over and over and over again. I, I, man, I'm, I'm amazed at, at how your church family tries to get to know people. It's not, and by the way, mine in the sense of belonging to it, not it belonging to me. I'm amazed at it. You know what happens with families, though? As much as you like each other, you're not always going to like everything each other does. You say, well, what do we do in those situations? Well, we, we don't do what we did when we were 13 and 14 or 8. You know what you do when you were, do you remember what you did when you were 8, 7, 3, 15? Fell on the floor and screamed like a psychopath? like the emotional terrorist that you were. Or when you got a little older, you just started punching people in the face. Or whatever part of them you could hit at the time. I remember one time, I was, I was like, I, I started with violence early on. I think I was like five or six. And my brother, two years younger than me, and then one of our friends, Elizabeth, they were the same age. And we had one of those teeter-totter swings, you know, the little bicycle seat, hug the bars in the middle, go like this. And I was going to jump up in the middle of it and show off my athleticism. And they were like, no, 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 don't do it. I'm like, you're both dumb. So I walked behind Josh, smoked him in the back, walked behind Elizabeth, smoked him in the back. And then I was like, see ya. And then my mom came out. <laughs> Thankfully, she was very pregnant with Jody at the time. I, so I wasn't seven. I would have been four or five. Man, I was bad early. Oh, good night. If you ever wonder about Jaron, I'm why. I take off, 
And I'm like, you can't run fast. Bye. Literally, I remember her chasing me around the house. Until Elizabeth, and we're out in the woods, man. Nobody's going to hear us. It's like, you, you better stop. I'm like, yeah, right. Until Elizabeth's older brother, he looks at me as I was making a lap by him. He's like, you better stop. Are you going to take this? Sometimes we want to resolve conflict our way instead of understanding that there's a biblical way to resolve it. When you have a problem with somebody, it's your responsibility to talk to the people you have a problem with, not talk about them. And Proverbs warns this. Proverbs says, you need to be careful about taking up wrath that doesn't belong to you. It's like going and grabbing another man's dog by the ears. Helping people in difficult situations. Man, sometimes people just go through difficulties and we have a heart to help them. But there are certain people in their lives and certain processes in place that we cannot circumvent. However imperfect they may be. Man, I've been amazed at the marriages God has helped in this church. Well, obviously not everyone. I mean, there, there have been those struggles and failures. But one of the reasons that I think in some cases God has blessed and either the marriage survived or the spouse that continued to follow the Lord, God blessed them, is because they submitted to handling a process the right way. And even when a husband or another spouse is godless, I have, and anyone who's gotten counseling with me can give testimony to this, I have never sanctioned going about handling those situations through unbiblical means. No, you talk to that spouse. You're like, well, I already know what that's going to produce. doesn't matter. It's in the Bible. Let me give you a couple more. Making money and providing for your family. I think, man, things are just getting... Can I tell you something that I laughed at so hard? Sure, Pastor, please tell us that because we're all feeling really awkward right now and we'd like to laugh. No. Uh, I was reading about different states and what their intents are to relieve the burden of inflation. You're going to be excited to know that Idaho is sending out a check to every taxpayer worth $75. Okay, look, I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but Governor Little, that doesn't pay for my eggs and toilet paper. For one week, for crying out loud. Like, we're going to solve inflation. Here's... <laughs> Man, that doesn't take care of a, a single adult. I got 10 people. No, 11 people in my house. When Alex comes home from college... Jody moved in. I'm like, Jody, you got to go. Inflation's high. You got to go live with Miss Rhonda or somebody. Go see if Mike and June got room. I mean, I love you, but sorry. Inflation. My 10 cents is now worth two cents. You say, where are you going with that? Here, you can feel that pressure and think, well, I just got to compromise other things to make more money. 
But the same God that provided for you in the good times will provide for you in the difficult times if you'll prioritize him. And there's certain things you can't compromise. Parenting. You want to have a relationship with your kids that maybe you didn't have. You cannot compromise the method of discipline and the need for it. This is is the pressure that I see parents feeling. You you came out of a bad situation, and and you want to have an actual relationship with your kids. And and I've seen it burn in you, and I I can hear it in the intensity of your voice and your expressions of love. And you're like, man, I want... want I, I, don't, I don't just want to be the dad that, that deals with them when they're bad and I make money and they're always afraid of. I want, I want to have a relationship with my children to one day that they'll become my friends. And I believe that's possible. I believe that's what God intends. God loves us and God wants us as fathers to love our children and to not provoke them to wrath. But in the process of trying to have that relationship with them, you cannot sacrifice the biblical demands of discipline and restraint of your children. You say, well, man, I just really want to correct these sinful attitudes, and I want to make sure that they don't, they don't go this route. But you can't compromise the need to not be a hypocrite and the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, your kids are going to do sinful things. doesn't give you the right to be out of control and angry. And firm discipline is not the same as angry discipline. Consistent discipline is not the same as abusive and manipulative discipline. Say, what's the point? Godly motives do not justify godless methods. Every motive I talked about is right. But there are times when we can violate the methods that God has established. And there are areas in which you cannot have God's blessing, regardless of your motive, unless you're willing to submit to God's methods. Let me give you three thoughts. Excuse me, four thoughts. I will not judge a person's motives, and you shouldn't either unless they're proven to be wrong. Well, I don't know what their motive is. Okay, give them the benefit of the doubt until you do know. Well, I don't, I, I think it's this. Don't, don't assess people's motives based on what you think. Let God deal with it. I will not, I, I will not, and I will, I will work as hard as I can to develop a culture here where we are not walking around judging what we think other people's motives are when we don't agree with something that's going on. Number two, right motives are never a justification for wrong methods. And I, I, you've seen this. You, you know how this happens, even with our children and raising children. You give your child a command to do something. And then they have this idea, hey, I'm going to go do this for dad and mom. And so they go and do it. And man, I've, I've seen this happen before where my kids come and they want to tell me about something they did, and I, don't, I try not to blow them up over that, but to help them understand the priority. Just because your motive was to write me a note or your motive was to go do this other chore, you got to understand I had a reason for giving you this command, and your, your motive does not justify your method. Right motives are never a justification for wrong methods. Number three... Right motives do not protect you from the consequences of wrong methods. 
David's a man after God's own heart. But his life is littered with casualties. Doesn't change the fact that he's a man after God's own heart. One of those casualties was Uzzah. You say, well, Uzzah was to blame. Yeah, Uzzah was to blame, but David was the leader here. And you cannot expect there to not be consequences when we ignore the methods. Godly motives do not justify godless methods. I want to end with this encouragement. Verse 17, they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. If you find yourself in a place where your motive has been right, but your method has been wrong, do not give up. Can I summarize the ending this way? They kept the motive. They corrected the method. And God poured out his blessing. Merciful God. Merciful God. So keep the motive. Correct the method. And God's blessings can still flow in our lives. God, I sure do thank you for tonight. Thank you that we get to be your people. And Lord, you've used this to convict me so much and to challenge me. And I pray that you would use it to convict and help your people. And God, I, I believe this. I, I have been guilty of this so many times. I have been guilty of this this year. I probably have been guilty of it this month or last month or the month before. God, my motive is good. And, and, and before you, I'm not afraid of my motive. My motive is to do the right thing. I love you. And yet my method is completely off. And God, there's, there's consequences to that. And if we want your blessing, if, if we don't want to just live off of, a, off of a fraction of your blessing, but if we want the, the most of your blessing, then God, we, we must not only be aware of our motive, we must also be aware of our method. So would you help us tonight to be responsive to you? And if you convict us, or if there's any thought or doubt, then Lord, help us just to give you time to talk to us. And then to, Lord, not give up. Don't give up. There's blessing to be had. There's, there's better days ahead. God, help us to not give up. But help us to keep the motive. Correct the method. And to trust you to bless as only you can. God, we love you. Thank you for being good to us in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. If God has spoken to your heart. You have opportunity to respond to him while Brother Nate sings.